Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. Candid interviews with amazing Australian entrepreneurs who started with a humble idea and built it into something substantial and sustainable. It's the human face behind how they built it. On today's episode... People would come in, look around, take out their cameras and do social media. You can't believe this story. It was a positive thing. I mean, people didn't have a negative connotation that it was too cheap, but it was all positive. Today, you'll hear the story of a classic old-fashioned entrepreneur, if you will, A shopkeeper turned successful entrepreneur who's made an enormous mark on the Australian retailing landscape. This man not only disrupted several entire industries with his style of shopkeeping, but over five decades, he created and built his brand and business into 500 stores across Australia, New Zealand, even Ireland, and created a household name with his brand, Chemist Warehouse. Now, you may not have heard of its co-founder, Jack Gantz. He does tend to fly under the radar. An immigrant child of Polish-Jewish parents who fled Europe to escape the Nazis, emigrated to Melbourne with their young family, where they raised Jack and his siblings to get educated and work very, very hard to survive a classic Aussie immigrant story. And as Jack mulls over the $8 billion a year turnover empire that is Chemist Warehouse and cuts the ribbon on his recent 500th store opening, Jack Gantz explains why he cannot sit still after 51 years in business, always on his quest for what's next. Jack Gads, thank you so much for joining me on Build It, Thou Come. It's just great to have you on. My pleasure. Well, now everyone I would suggest in Australia no doubt knows the brand name of Chemist Warehouse and possibly most of those people shop with you or have shopped with you at one time or another. Let's sort of start now. Do you ever reflect on that and what you've actually built and created a genuine homegrown very much trusted brand, the number one pharmacy brand in Australia, as I understand it. You've created a shopping experience and a retail empire. Do you reflect on that and how does that make you feel? Well, now that you talk about it, I think, you know, I I guess the reality is that I have never reflected upon our success. I've always sort of said, what can we do next? What's the next thing? Really? Yeah, really. I mean, like, you know, we have it, we had a, 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 um, a ribbon cutting ceremony when we did the 500th store uh, a few months ago. And I guess that was one of the few times we actually sort of stopped and, and, uh, recognized where we, where we are. Yeah. We, we're constantly trying to improve and uh, do things better. So, you know, it's, um, it's a good thing to, 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 to reflect. And I think we should, but in fact, we don't. Yeah, well, I guess part of that may be because you've still got a lot of things that you want to achieve. You've still got more ambitions for it. But, you know, after 50 years, 51 years, I think, or something like that in business, you should reflect. Yeah, I should. You should. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, I, the thing is, once we achieve a, 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 once we achieve something we, we try to achieve, we've always got our eye on the next thing. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, do we stop and... Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. We should. And I've got to thank all the consumers, all the public for for their support, because I think without them, 
And I guess the reason why we are successful is because we do focus upon what they want. We provide them with what they want and and tr try to, you know, um, surprise them, you know, delight them with, uh, with what we can do with pricing and products. Mm. But it is interesting in the beginning, and we'll go back to the beginning soon, not just yet, but in the beginning, you didn't just give them what they want because they didn't know they wanted that. You know, we were all used to shopping in pharmacies in a very different way in the, you know, um, well, through the 70s, I guess. Um, and then you kind of re completely revolutionised it. But I don't want to get to that just yet. You have obviously been involved in a number of startups and creating and building new businesses and startups. You successfully have disrupted a number of industries. I mean, retailing and pharmaceuticals as well, I would suggest. So did you say you opened your 500th shop just a few months ago? Yes, um, our 500th chemist warehouse. We've got about 570 pharmacies altogether. Um, With the My Chemist Brand. With the Microsoft brand and some unbranded ones, which are waiting in the in the waiting in the background to be rebranded. Ah, okay. So that's still to come, and a turnover of some billions. Eight billion. Eight billion turnover a year. Correct. Well, that's just an extraordinary achievement, Jack. I mean, it is an incredible empire that you've built over 50 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I remember that when we um, we hired a general manager and he said, uh, my task is to get you to $1 billion. And I said, oh, that's not possible. We'll never get to a $1 billion. Really? When we got to the, the billion-dollar mark, um, instead of celebrating, which we should have done, uh, as you as you've said, um, we we sort of said, let's get half. How will it take us to get to two billion and then three billion? Mm. And um, so, where did yeah. just just I'm going to sort of step sideways. Where does that kind of relentless drive come from? I'm not really sure. Mm. Uh, uh, I, I'm. Uh, my parents were uh, immigrants uh, after the war. My, I was born in Russia. My parents were Polish Jews, and they uh, moved to Russia to escape the Germans. I was mm. born 1948, sorry, 1946, um, and uh, wow. was two years old when we came to Australia. And I guess it was the fact that my parents really saw that um, you've got to be looking for mm. uh, survival, and for, for them – and I guess instilled in me was the fact that, uh, you know, you just got to work hard, education and hard work were the only two things that they really, um, they really gave me. Yeah. And that's an in really interesting. And it, 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 that certainly that emphasis on education and hard work is very much part of the immigrant story in Australia, isn't it? But it is. can we go back to the beginning of that entrepreneurial story? story. You started out in business in a very small, humble way, as I understand it, with what, one pharmacy in the early 70s, which you went yes, into sir. with your brother. Is that right? And and That's after right. you had trained as a pharmacist at university? That's right, yeah. Um, I qualified as a pharmacist in 1966 and in 1972, uh, my brother qualified as well and together we bought our first store in Reservoir. And it was soon after uh, we we opened this. Soon after we we, we uh, started in the store, the uh, uh, competitor across the railway line died, um, and we bought his business. So we had two stores. Oh right, uh, okay. So you expanded very quickly, really. 
It was about six months. Uh, you know, we um, we were offered the store and we said, oh, you know, um, we weren't sure that we wanted to uh, expand beyond that, but we did. You know, we, we, we bought the store. Um, and um, then I started to think that I wanted to do something a bit more entrepreneurial and uh, I wanted an opportunity to go overseas uh, on a business trip. So I looked around and saw what we – so we sold a lot of sunglasses and I thought, well, you know, this could be a good opportunity to import sunglasses. We sold a lot of sunglasses. Okay, so, so already you were selling sunglasses, even in sorry? this, uh, already in this first and second store, you were selling sunglasses. Well, well pharmacy, pharmacies traditionally sold sunglasses. Right. One, of the, one of the things that, and they still do. Yeah, so we, we sold a fair few sunglasses. So I went to the Taiwanese consulate in Melbourne, and uh, this is 1973, I think. Remember, there was no, there was no, uh, no mobile phones. There was no cameras. Um, so we went there and we looked through the, um, through the different uh, catalogues there, and we looked at uh, sunglass manufacturers. We wrote down the name of all the manufacturers, and then I went back to the pharmacy with two fingers, typed a letter. Remember, there was no emails. There no, was no, of course not. No it was all snail mail, yeah. It was all snail mail. So I typed a letter. Dear sir, your name, you've been recommended by the Taiwanese consulate. <laughs> we, are, we are the largest sunglass importer in Australia. Now, Was that a Helen, fib? Helen, it wasn't a lie. It was a timing difference. Ah, I see. We were soon to become the largest sunglass. Anyway, so – Yeah, yeah, we, so they they flooded this with samples, and uh, we we were able to establish which of the suppliers were, were the best. And um, then uh, I had a I had a strategy which was to sell to our fellow pharmacists. How did you? Gonna, sorry, Jack. How did you come up with that strategy? Because that's uh, I mean I don't wish to put pharmacists down, but that's not necessarily uh, the entrepreneurial way that a pharmacist, uh, a no, trained no. professional, might think. No, I know, I know. And, and, well, I didn't know what I didn't know what entrepreneurship was until I um, sold the business and did an MBA and I did a semester at it with a subject entrepreneurship and I realized what entrepreneurship is I guess it's probably just the you know the the the, the desire to survive and mm. to you know and, and to work hard and and to think of things outside the box so there's about a hundred people selling sunglasses to pharmacy there's plenty of people selling sunglasses to right. pharmacy but the difference was and I was a pharmacist I was a fellow pharmacist so I was gonna. I was going to do it by mail order, where I was going to send a letter to every pharmacy and say, "Hey, don't buy from these multinationals. Buy from who rip you off. Buy from buy from me, a fellow pharmacist." Right. My sister, who was a teacher, decided that she wanted to do something entrepreneurial. So I said, "Why don't you come and work with me and um, sell sunglasses to pharmacies?" So we made a uh, display of sunglasses, which was a piece of pegboard with some hat elastics through it, and the glasses were um, strung through the hat elastic Mm. and with a a rope handle, and she went door-to-door to to pharmacy. Well, she had like 95% success rate. Okay, sorry, can I just stop you there? So these were the sunglasses that you were importing, but clearly you said a lot of chemists were selling sunglasses then. So you decided that they, even though these chemists were, other chemists were already buying sunglasses from big companies, that you could sell it to them and make yourself some money. Well, I sold it to them on the basis that they were buying it much cheaper than they were for the multinationals. Right. And I was making a reasonably 
reasonably good margin. So it was a win-win for both of us. And the products were, um, the styling was was pretty good because we understood retail. I mean, you know, I, I served in the shop and we had retail sales numbers and we were able to to design our own products in Australia for the Australian market. And so, the, so you know, the, we had called it Prestige Sunglasses. Um, and we, um, we, we started, uh, with, with my sister and then we got agents who sold it on a, um, commission basis. Right. And by 19, by set 1975, 76, um, we had, um, a good distribution throughout, throughout Australia. And then in 1979, we we're at a trade show. My wife, Evelyn, at the back of the stand saw a pair of sunglasses with a, with a, a tag that had a had a feather hanging off it, and she said, "What's that?" And the guy said, "Well, look, this is something new we've developed. Not sure what to do with it. It's unbreakable. It's you know lightweight, flexible, unbreakable. Um, it's taken us five years to develop. We're not sure what to do with it." And so I said, "Give me a sample, and I'll take it back." Now I'd read a book by John Singleton on contra on advertising, and there was a there was a paragraph, there was a chapter in there on contra advertising. And we had no money. I mean, you know, we were growing the business, but mm. we had no money. And so I you was didn't want to pay for advertising, or preferably not. Well, we were happy to pay on a contra basis, which is what the contra advertising was about. So we went to Spasm's agency yeah. in Melbourne, and uh, Mike Strauss uh, welcomed me. And I threw the glasses on the floor, jumped on them, and he said. This is fantastic. We want to do it on a contra basis. He said, "I will. I will develop." a brand name for you. I'll develop a, a, um, a point of sale um, and we'll do it on a contra basis. He went to Channel 7 and they produced a commercial for $7,000. Oh, Can you gosh. $7,000. Yeah. Anyway, so when I went back for the second meeting, he said, okay, we've thought of a name. It's going to be called The Specs. Oh, wow. Said, so the agency on. came up with that name. The agency came up with the yeah. name. And I said, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's three things that this product does. One, it's lightweight. Two, it's unbreakable. And three, it's French. You've only picked one, one of the three elements. And he said to me, Jack, look, if this advertising campaign doesn't make them, you know, memorable and doesn't sell product, then we've failed. Trust us. We'll make it work. So I said, okay, I'll trust you. And, um, it was fantastic. So we created the commercial. They produced a commercial on the, you know, based on the 1912 overture. Dum, 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 dum. And they had people sitting on the glasses and riding bikes over it and jumping on them. It was such a sensational commercial. <coughs> and, We'd already sold the products in. We already sold sunglasses into the into pharmacies already. So when the product came in November and December of um, nineteen seventy nine, we had to uh, go and, and and try to sell it into pharmacy again. So we decided to do it on consignment. So we took um, we got got on the phone. We all got on the phone. We rang up each every pharmacy in Victoria and offered them. Uh, 14 pairs of sunglasses on consignment, and we told them about the TV commercial. Meaning we they got, only have to pay for it if they sell it, when they sell correct, it. Yeah. Correct. And sorry, how did what? How did the contra deal work with the agency? We paid them $2.50 a pair, and then they, they distributed that to right. the- Right. So, um, again, you only paid them when you sold some sunglasses. That's right. The risk we had was we we, we imported you know hundreds of thousands yeah. of pairs of sunglasses, but then I thought, well, you know, it'll be a few years' supply. Yeah. If, if it doesn't work, but you know, like so in, in, those, 
in those days, in the, it, 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 when the shipment came in late, I mean, everything was oh. really touch and go. The shipment came in late and actually arrived on Christmas Eve. We had the TV campaign uh, ready to go about the 27th of December. Oh. The shipment came in. So I hired a, I hired a truck. And at those days, we drove the truck. I drove the truck onto the tarmac of the airport. They loaded the, the, the sunglasses in the back of the truck, and I drove off after paying customs and delivered the glasses to women who put swing tags on, and then we collected those, and then we assorted them and delivered them to the to people's homes uh, So and delivered them to, to, to the pharmacies. To pharmacies, ready for the summer rush. And and that's what happened. And when 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 the when they hit the stores and the TV campaign started, people would walk to the front counter with a pair of sunglasses that they'd seen off the stand, and they would see the sunglasses on a little counter unit. They pick up the, the specs, put them on, and put the other ones back and buy the specs. It was just phenomenal. Amazing. So, Jack, really, is is it the case that in those days, so say the mid to late 70s, your idea wasn't really to revolutionise pharmacies per se. It was to sort of revolutionise what was sold in pharmacies and how you could develop, how you did develop this um, this really, this distribution arm for products. No, that's- no, and that's not right because I never thought of it that way. I thought, what can I do to make money? What can I right. do that's, that's going to that, that I can sell? I never sort of thought about you know the whole thing about revolutionising. Yeah, right. all, all I thought was, how do I how do I get a product into the pharmacy so that they make money and we make money and it's a win win for everybody. Yeah, and that so, you get people in. But the, but they, but then I then I thought about it. I thought we're not a sunglass company. We really are a distribution business. So let's look at the next product we can distribute. Yeah. So I wanted I wanted to look at a product that was off season from sunglasses, something which was winter. I couldn't think of anything. So we we settled on on sunscreen, the specs, the tan. And uh, the agency came up with a fantastic TV commercial. We started selling it in February uh, without a bottle being produced with a mock-up of, of a bottle. And because of the success of, of Le Specs, uh, the pharmacy said, okay, if, if Le Specs works, Latam will work. And, and we just got... We, we just got acceptance on the back of, of the success we had. Wow. So did you make that here or did you import a brand no, no, from France no, called no, Latan? No, Latan was made in Australia. We had a professor of pharmacy in Queensland develop the uh, formulation and uh, it was manufactured by a local uh, manufacturer. We had the bottle produced here and uh, the whole thing was locally produced. Amazing. And then from the, and, and then that sold to obviously to other pharmacies. From that you also uh, what virtually created Australis and Colors of Australia, the cosmetics and fragrances brands. Yeah, well, that was interesting because we we said Le Specs, Le Tan, Le Parfum, but the trouble was Le Parfum was a brand that was already taken by someone else. Now, today, we probably go and buy the brand. We probably go and buy the, the, the trademark. Yeah. Back, back then, I didn't want to spend any money. So we were offered a brand called Australis. Now, Australis was manufactured by or for a um, – for, for a Fijian uh, Indian family uh, that had duty-free stores, and they thought they were going to develop a range of fragrances called Australis. I loved the name, but the fragrance was no good and the packaging wasn't great. 
in order to be able to compete with the multinationals, you, you can't compete on an even scale. You can't compete toe-to-toe with them because they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars developing the uh, the packaging. Yeah. So we, we said, let's go completely different. So Ken Doan was on his way up. Uh, he was a uh, he, he was an exciting artist. We went to Ken Doan and we said, Ken, would you develop, design a fragrance brand uh, label for us? And so he developed these, he had developed the Australis label, which was naive art. And, um, and it was instantly successful because people, said you know it's not not a pretentious brand it's mm. a lifestyle brand mm. and we in fact created that lifestyle fragrance brand range uh category that didn't exist before then there was the you know there, there was all the all the upmarket ones and we developed the, the the lifestyle ones that the australian woman could uh, c- could relate to and, and, and was I, probably a cheaper price point it was a, it was a less expensive yeah. price point made in, made in australia Made in Australia, the, the commercial was not pretentious. It was like girls running through the sand, through the yeah. surf, meat pies, um, <laughs> you know, dropping on the, you know, on, oh, on, on their shirt. Yeah, it was, it was something that people could relate to. Yeah, and yeah. when we went to. By then we were in Maya. We went to Maya and showed them. They just loved it. They said it was yeah fantastic. It was a breath of fresh air in the whole of the fragrance market. And were you still working with Spasm and the agency with this, or was it had you no. moved on and and Ken Doan helped you um, create that the packaging, but you created it yourself? Yeah, well, the actually, interesting story because Spasm um, had Spasm. Advertising uh, agency, yeah. Advertising which, agency. They couldn't they, – they they ran the first campaign for us, but they said we can't have you as a client because they just take it on Gillette. Uh, and Gillette, Gillette had, a, had a sunglass brand and they couldn't compete. Gillette let them run with the Lespecs campaign, uh, but then they had to give up. So we went to another agency. We went through about two or three different agencies, you know, yeah. uh, and, um, yeah, but th- – the Australis, I can't remember which agency it was, but but the Australis one was it was a different agency that's the created the specs and the one that created Latan. Yeah, just extraordinary. Do you think secretly you really always wanted to be a marketer um, or was it just this, oh, look, we can we can create these products and people are buying them and they want them? Well, I think it's because I had a pretty good feeling. I think we've got a good feeling for mm. what it is the consumer wants. Um, I, I always say um, to, to our buyers, now that we, you know, we've got a whole team of buyers, I say, if you tell me that you – want to buy that because you like it, I'm going to fire you. I don't want to buy something. I don't want you to buy something that you like. I want you to buy something the customer likes. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know. But, so I mean, do you, you do need- market surveys? Do you do it sort of scientifically or do you just watch the sales come in and then think, oh, they actually like that sort of perfume or sunglasses or painkiller, not well, that one? Well, today we have a lot of data and we yeah. have a very very sophisticated data collection, but but the point is that um, gut feel I think is probably probably better than a lot of this uh, lo- lot of the um, 
research, um, like, like the focus groups. They did a focus group um, on sunglasses and everyone bought their sunglasses, uh, Chanel sunglasses in France, in Paris, you know, everyone in the, in the team. It was just, was just, was just rubbish. You know, like the, the results were just crazy. Mm. Um, and I have very little faith in, in those focus groups. I prefer to ask my own questions. I prefer to be close to the consumer and just watch international trends. Yeah. You learn, you learn for, you know, as you go. Yeah. Jack, what did you do for funding in those very early days? Firstly, how did you buy the, the second guys, um, the, the neighborhood? chemist and then how did you really develop you said you didn't want to spend any money but you still would have had to you know pay someone to make the product or pay the Lespecs people in France to bring it out to Australia what was your funding it's true well our funding was by reinvesting everything I mean we took out of the business um but I mean did you have to sort of borrow from friends and family and use all your savings and probably didn't even have a credit card then did you well the we in nineteen in nineteen ninety one um, we we got we approached by Graham Smorgan to buy the business. Just prior to him approaching us, uh, my brother and I had signed a bank guarantee that uh, I looked at it and I said I, I I couldn't believe the number of zeros in that bank guarantee. <laughs> the problem the problem with manufacturing with distribution businesses is that the more successful you are, the less money you have. Mm. And we were borrowing, we were borrowing big time, and we had everything mortgaged. And then what happened was the French decided to do some atomic testing in the uh, in, in the Pacific. Yeah. And I was concerned that if there was a uh, anti-French um, sentiment, not that our products were necessarily French, that we would be yeah, we would suffer and you know mm. I mean in business it's it's a fine line between between success and failure. The margin you work with overall, what you've got left, is pretty pretty slim. And you you need the volume, and you need to make sure that the margin's there. And if if, if the tide turns and sales drop, uh, uh, then you you can you can you can wipe out your your profit very very quickly. So I was really concerned about that, and the, and reluctantly we sold the company, we sold the Australis brand to uh, you know, the, the business to Graham Smorgan. But then in pharmacy, in pharmacy, fortunately, retail businesses uh, are less. Um, cash constrained because you buy your stock, but then once you bought the stock, but then as soon as you start selling it, um, you get cash in. So you've got sixty days cash coming in before you have to pay for the, what you've just bought. Right. So you have trading terms. Yep. And so the bigger you get, the more cash flow you have. And uh, we had uh, strong support with Sigma, uh, who who we were with for a long, long time. Um, Sigma Pharmaceuticals, yeah. Sigma Pharmaceuticals. At that stage, in those days, the wholesalers used to guarantee the bank loans. So, you know, it was relatively easy to fund pharmacies. Yeah, right. It was the distribution business, which which was the hard one to fund. So before you got big and successful, how did you fund that distribution business in the beginning? By borrowing. I mean, yeah, right. Like okay. I said, we hopped yeah. everything. It was, it was, the pharmacies were okay because the, the, they were pretty well self funded. You know, once you started, um, you got cash yeah. flowing pretty quickly, especially um, if you had a good business. Um, it was the distribution business which was the killer. And we, we had, we had, very, very, very hefty build, uh, very hefty loans with the banks, and that was one of the reasons. As I said, 
why we decided, you know, it's a good time to sell yeah. and, and, and to be safe. When you sold those businesses, the, the sort of pharmacy brand um, distribution business in 1991, did you make a lot of dough then? And was that then the um, foundation for your next move? We... We we well we we didn't make a lot of dough. It's all relative, but we but we did very well, and it meant we didn't have to borrow our money again. And 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 in our pharmacies, we have zero borrowing. Really, our, we had zero borrowing in our pharmacies. We've got uh, we eight billion dollars turnover, and we've got uh, you know five hundred and sixty stores, um, and we own a number of the properties. But it's all funded from. Uh, from cash flow, largely because we don't take, you know, we don't take, we don't take much out. We we reinvest everything back into the business. You know, we um, it, 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 all our money is invested back in the business. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're saying you didn't really set out to change pharmacy retailing, but you did, even just know, with yeah. those brands, didn't you? Well, we started off. Um, with two stores, and then we, when I sold Australis, Lespex Latan, yeah, we had thirty-five stores. Right. I, I, I decided to um, do an MBA, and I and I went and did a semester at NYU, came back, and then I said, look, let's reinvigorate the pharmacies. With thirty-five stores, there was some Amcal, some Guardian, some Chem, some Sol Pattinson. I said, look, you know. Oh, so we they weren't work. all under the same brand name. They were no, all these different no, brand names. Yeah, they weren't. So it was it was about 1993. Uh, after doing the MBA, I decided uh, we should form our own group. So we went to the advertising agency, and they came up with an idea: my chemist. And my chemist saves you money. Now that's true. My chemist will save you money if you buy the specials. So you know we were, you know, everything was full recommended retail price as as our oil of the pharmacy. But we had about two hundred specials, and they were really good specials, and they would rotate. And we focused on the front of shop business to grow the front of shop business because. Um, you can control that. You, you, the, the people coming with prescriptions um, is so out of your control, but you can control the front of shop business. Mm. So we um, we um, continued to grow the, the the ranging in the front of shop, and we started to um, experiment with with promotional activity. Um, and in two thousand, we had fifty stores. Mm. It was then that I. Looked at the market. I've been looking at the US market for some time, and, and and the big box pharmacies over there, CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid, there were huge stores with you know two thousand square meters, um, ten million dollar turnover stores. I looked at those, and I thought, what would happen if we tried to emulate the same sort of thing in Australia, where we um, have a big box store, and Bunnings was opening, Bunnings was mm-hmm. opening stores everywhere, and um, I said. Let, let, let's see if we can give people, you know, twenty five percent discount on recommended retail price on everything. Meaning every on everything, thing. because up everything, to, up everything. To then you had done it just on the occasional item. One hundred, two hundred items. Uh, I said, let's discount everything by twenty five percent. Now, to make that work, we had to make sure that a couple of things happened. Yeah. Firstly, yeah. the two biggest costs in pharmacy, in fact, in any retail, are wages and rent. Yeah. Now, you can c- control rent by 
going to a less rent area, less yeah. expensive yeah. area. Yeah. And that worked for us because we became a destination store. We, we didn't necessarily have to be in the primary shopping centre. We could be, as long as there was car parking and there was as reasonable customer traffic, we'd attract people. So if, if you um, if you spend $100,000 a year on, on rent and you do a million dollars turnover, that's 10%. But if you do the, pay the same rent and you have $10 million turnover, you're paying 1%. Mm. So the average pharmacy pays about 13% rent. We're averaging about 2.5% because, one, we're in lower uh, rent areas, and, two, we have a much higher average turnover. Our average turnover is around $12 million. So, but that was a punt, a punt you took long ago then to think, well, what happens if we do make these stores in Australia much bigger, which Australian consumers work. weren't used to. We were used to going into the chemist shop down on the corner that had maybe a, a, the pharmacist and one other helper. Yeah, well, that's right. Well, like every entrepreneur, you need to have a fallback position. So the fallback position was, well, first of all, the, the first store that we opened was uh, owned by a friends of ours. Spotlight had moved their location and they, they had a store that was that was vacant. It was about a 1,000 square metres, so a huge store. And it wow. Was, and there was a level above. And basically, we were friendly with uh, with Ruben and he said, well, if it doesn't work, I'll take it back. Don't worry about it. You know, see here you go. So we had a fullback. Oh, great. And, and, yeah. And, and anyway – to tell you the truth, I mean, it didn't work immediately. I mean, it took a lot of yeah. tweaking, a lot of hard work. But ultimately, we were able to make it work. And, and wages are less because we um, have specialised people, someone at the checkout all the time. There's people that – there's store people that do this, you know, that, that place the orders and manage the stock, the and inventory. So if you, if you specialise and you don't do everything, you, you're more efficient. And so our wage costs are lower as a percentage, but we really? still, have a high, still have a lot of staff and our wages and our rent was low. The average pharmacy does about 40% gross margin and we had to work on about 20% gross margin. So we had to reduce our expenses by about twenty percent, which mm. was uh, which was pretty hard, and get rebates and advertising funds from the suppliers. Yeah, so, and and today, I mean, today it's working. I mean, today, you know, whereas yeah, we have about the same bottom line percentage profit as the average pharmacy on a much higher turnover. That's amazing, Jack. Just when did you decide to become chemist warehouse and use this warehouse, this particular word, which obviously conjures up uh, a different image in the consumer's mind and then bring all those brands of chemists under this one branding name? Well, our first store opened in June 2000. That was our first store. The first chemist warehouse. First chemist warehouse was in 2000. Soon after we opened our first one, without it being totally successful, we had the opportunity. We opened our first store in in Reserv- sorry in, in in Footscray. We had an opportunity to open a store in Dandong. It was an old coal store that a you know, coal's variety store. Yep. So we we opened up there. So we had the two stores, um, and they were in two different socioeconomic areas, Dandong and Footscray. Um. Yeah, after um, after about a year, you could tell it was going to work. I mean, was yeah, when people came in and they were just gobsmacked by the volume of product and the pricing, and uh, you know, the average basket size is much greater than than um, than any other pharmacy. Yeah, and, and word of mouth 
and the advertising uh, all all worked, and we gradually, gradually, you know, you know, grew the business. And then I think the third store was in Shepparton, which is a country area, and we had a we found a very large site there, and and Shepparton was actually more successful and uh, more successful quicker yeah. than the other two because you know here we were giving much better discounts in a country area where traditionally the prices are much higher. Yeah, they would have been gouged, no doubt. But yes. but nonetheless, do you, do you remember? You said it wasn't easy at the beginning. Do you remember that there was um, a little bit of you know uncertainty in consumers' minds? Oh, what's this? You know, cut price uh, drugs and prescriptions, and oh, do I trust that? You know, this is all before we knew about generic um, uh, pharmaceuticals and all that sort of thing. That that concerned us, but but no, generally the people. Um, that came into the store, you know, uh, embraced the, the concept and, uh, we're, you know, we're delighted with it. I mean, we opened up stores in, in Ireland and people, we opened up in Ireland uh, about two years ago, uh, middle of the pandemic, and people would come in, look around, take out their cameras and, 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 and do, you know, um, social media. You can't believe this store. Look at really? what the Really? I mean, like, you know, it was a positive thing. I mean, people didn't have a negative connotation that it was too cheap or that there was no. too uh, but it was all positive. Yeah. I mean, and how are the ones in Ireland going? Great. Our, our, our best our best per capita market is New Zealand because the market there is much more competitive. In right. Australia we have we're constrained by the uh, regulations in relation to where we can locate and ownership laws. Right. So if I wanted to open a pharmacy in a particular area, I've got to buy a pharmacy within one kilometre of that site because I can only move it one kilometre. This is the Guild, you know, uh, anti-competitive situation that the Guild have uh, introduced and have pushing. Um, and so we were constrained in the size of the stores and, you know, everything had to be, you know, like it was a three-dimensional jigsaw. We had to find a site move it less than one kilometre, you know, uh, set it up. Um, Sorry, less than one kilometre from where? From where we bought the we bought the business. You can only move a pharmacy one kilometre. Right. And even today, it's the same thing today. Oh, okay. Uh, so we're not, you know, we're in, we're not in, some, in some areas because we can't buy a pharmacy uh, in that area because pharmacists believe that we're um, going to, kill the business for their – I mean, if you're a pharmacist and want to retire, you're very friendly with all your colleagues around you, mm. uh, and you and and you probably don't want to sell your pharmacy to a chemist warehouse because you, you're afraid how it's going to affect your colleagues around you. So yeah. we have difficulty, you know, being able to buy pharmacies. But in New Zealand, we can open up anywhere we want and uh, in any, any store we want. So in New Zealand, our average turnover is over $20 million, New yeah. Zealand, per yeah. store. And um, we're close to $1 billion in New Zealand alone um, after about uh, four years. That's amazing. I mean, you've disrupted the whole pharmacy sector by this whole strategy that you've done. Was cutting prices the main way that you differentiated your product? Pricing and range um, and variety and uh, choice. Yeah. 
I mean, we, um, we, we, we won't do an LD where we have, you know, private label pro- predominantly. We have some private label products, but we support the multinationals and we grow the market. To give you an example of an idea of how we grow the market, sun, sorry, um, vitamins, uh, in Australia, we sell, we, Chemist Warehouse and the group sell $1 billion worth a year, 1 billion. Wow. The total market's worth $1.6 Oh, God. And if you look at the U.S. market, the U.S. market's only $9 billion. So pro rata, we're about two and a half times the volume per capita in Australia than they are in, in, in America. That's extraordinary. But, Jack, did you do that by squashing other people who sold vitamins or are you saying you actually expanded that market? We expanded the market yeah. I mean, and the, the reason why we, why is because we have the best range, the best pricing, the best education. I mean, we have lots of promotional activity, the best education, the best, you know, the best yeah. variety. I mean, you go into our store and, you know, the biggest, the biggest uh, complaint I get from my friends say to me, Jack, I went to your pharmacy last week and you're a bastard. I spent a hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said, I went. I only went to buy a packet of aspirin. I spent a hundred dollars. Yeah. I said, yeah, you probably saved yourself fifty dollars in doing that. Yeah, but they got lots of vitamin C and vitamin yeah, B yeah. and all this other stuff that maybe they didn't intend to buy. But but, but it's good for them. Yeah, Jack. Um, I mean, I imagine, and I understand there is some animosity towards Chemist Warehouse amongst pharmacists, not just the Guild, but the local pharmacy, you know, does not like to see people going into Chemist Warehouse to buy their Panadol or their Savlon cream. That's true. Um, but the reality of it is that we haven't cannibalised. I mean, if, if we open a pharmacy, we'll be doing $8 million within the first six months. That doesn't mean that our competitors lose $8 million. We doesn't grow it? the market. No. Right. no. Right. In, 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 in New Zealand, um, the bank that we d- deal with, Bank of New Zealand, um, did this exercise where they looked at the market share that, we, that Chemist Warehouse had before and after, before and after they entered a market. So if they looked at an area, say, six-kilometre radius, there might have been six pharmacies in that area, and we entered the middle of that area. Um, we we would open with about $8 million turnover, and they would be doing about $1 million turnover. So we would have more than 50% market share of that area, but they wouldn't lose that Eight million dollars. They would go from say one million dollars to nine hundred thousand. Yeah. But then they, would, they would. They would. But then, so the growth, our volume isn't at the expense of, of pharmacy generally. Yeah. It's at the expense of supermarkets. At the expense of of um, specialty stores. But more importantly, it's growth market. We grow the market, and as a result of our entry into the market. The market's bigger. Yeah. If you speak to if you speak to Johnson and Johnson, Record Bank Keys, Colgate, Palmolive, any of those companies, they will tell you that the sales in Australia of the products that we sell in our stores pro rata is greater than anywhere in the world. Wow! Because we make things so much more affordable. Yeah so much more available to consumers. We give the consumers what they want and so they buy more. 
Yeah. Jack, is there a secret sauce? Uh, they talk about this in, you know, um, management books, a secret sauce for chemist warehouse. What is it? Is it the, the tons of stock? Is it the low pricing? Is it the warehousey feel to it that, oh, I'm going to get a good deal if I go and buy at chemist warehouse? It's all of that. It's all of that. I mean, but the thing is, it's not what we do is pretty simple. I mean, we provide consumer with a lot of product, a lot of choice, a lot of variety at very low prices um, with a lot of signage. It's all very simple, but the, what's what's important is execution because we make a lot of money from advertising for the multinationals. I mean, multinationals pay us money to advertise. It's a win-win ah. because they pay us for advertising. The thing is that if we – want to continue to support or, or get the support of the multinationals, we've got to be able to deliver. And it's all in the delivery. It's all in the execution where the product's out there and the pricing's right and the display's right. If we promise they'll have a gondola end in every store, they have to have a gondola end yeah. in every store. Otherwise, otherwise, we won't get the support from the multinationals. Jack, there's so many more things I want to talk to you about, including, I think, some new ventures. Um, but that sounds like a perfect spot to take a break. Will you come back for part two of our chat uh, next time to discuss so much more? For sure. In part two of our chat next time, Jack Gantz talks about what's next in his chemist warehouse journey, the strength and importance to him of family and his faith, and just what drives him ever onward. See you next time. I hope you enjoyed Build It, Thou Come. Let me know via Twitter and LinkedIn. Better still, let your family, friends and colleagues know by sharing it around your networks. And I'd love you to give it a star rating on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for others to find us. Be sure to subscribe as there are plenty of upcoming episodes you don't want to miss with more amazing innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turn their light bulb idea into an empire.